Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 43 called Kristen. So I am super excited to talk to my guest today. Her name is Kristen. She's a fellow infertility warrior. She started the fertilitytribe.com, which is an online community and blog and just great altogether resource for anybody who's going through any of this bullshit. And the mission statement for Fertility Tribe is redefining fertility together. So today, Kristen and I are going to get into it with her story. And at one point, she says, nothing on my journey to motherhood was easy, which is probably the understatement of the year. And when you listen to what she went through and all of the ups and downs and statistics and drama and nights in the hospital and weeks on bed rest and all of that stuff, you will see why. So thank you, Kristen, for being so open and honest. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. And without further ado, this is Kristen's infertility story. Kristen, how are you today? Hi, Allie. Good. How are you? I'm so good. And I'm so happy we finally connected. We've been emailing a bit and I've been loving the Fertility Tribe, which you started and we will talk about. And I also wrote that post for you guys recently, which was really fun. Yes. I think it's so important to talk about secondary infertility. And those articles always perform really well because they think there's even sometimes more of a stigma around secondary infertility. So I really appreciate you writing it. And um, the response has been really awesome. Good. I'm so glad. So obviously you and I are sharing the same goal in that, you know, we want people to talk about fertility and infertility and all the things that go along with it and pregnancy and motherhood and in the vein of like total transparency. So I love meeting people through here. Like I feel like all the women that I've met and men are so like fierce and strong and goal oriented. And you're obviously one of those people. So I'm happy that we finally met. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about your story. I know you are an infertility warrior. So tell me where it all began for you. So I was on the birth control pill for 11 years. I uh, always had irregular periods before, you know, when I was a teenager and, and got put on the pill sort of right away. It never really came across my radar that I might have PCOS. But when I finally came off the pill, when after my husband and I got married, my cycle never returned. So we weren't really necessarily ready to start trying yet. I was kind of just hoping to like wash the pill out of my system and regulate my cycle, but that never happened. So mm-hmm. rather than sort of waste a year trying to no avail, because as it turns out, if you don't ovulate, you can't get pregnant. Who knew? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were very lucky that my OBGYN basically referred us immediately to a fertility specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I sort of felt like we were kind of thrust into the whole world of fertility treatments before we were mentally ready because we hadn't even really been actively trying. And then we jumped right to the fear of, well, if I have PCOS and, and I don't ovulate on my own, like this could take, like, we have no idea how long this could take. So we should just get right on it. So I sort of felt like physically I was going through everything, but mentally I was a little 
behind. I don't think I really knew everything that went into fertility mm-hmm. treatments, like the time commitment and the emotional commitment and the physical commitment and all, you know, it really is like having a second job. And so I ended up, I did a couple of cycles of Clomid uh, mm-hmm. with IUI and I had a terrible experience. I, I guess I have very stubborn ovaries. They really don't want to ovulate. So mm-hmm. my cycles were sort of really long and I had awful side effects from Clomid, like the Clomid crazies. I was- Yes, that is so common on here. Yes. So many people have said that. Yes. And so after a couple months of, and the frustrating part was that when I first went to the fertility doctor, my RE said, oh, you're going to be an easy case. You are 28 years old. You're, you know, all you need is a little Clomid to help you ovulate and you're going to be just fine. And then it's like months and months of failed IUIs and acting like a crazy person to no avail, like nothing happened. And I just felt like everything I had been working towards, like I had nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. And so Wait, can we back up just a little bit? So you guys, had you actively started trying? You said that you kind of like jumped into this fertility thing right away. Were you guys like, all right, let's try to diagnose what's wrong and then we'll start trying? Or was it kind of just everything was fast-tracked? I had gone off the pill right. thinking thinking once I get my cycle back, we'll start trying. And okay. then three or four months went by and, and I never got my cycle back. So okay. then it was like going to the... OBGYN and saying, you know, I haven't gotten a period. And then her kind of saying, well, if you are thinking about trying anytime soon, like you're not going to be able to get pregnant if you're not ovulating. So right. then I got, I, I basically got scared and, and yeah. I was like, who knows how long this can take. And so, right. Okay. Had they diagnosed you with PCOS at that point or no? Yeah. She, she ended okay. up doing a, an ultrasound, but I sort of was confused. Like I didn't actually know that I had she said it, it's likely that you have PCOS. And then once I went to the RE, she gave me a pamphlet about PCOS, but I was never sort of like sat down and told like, here's PCOS, here's the implications. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of time you might have during fertility treatments. And I, and I totally know that everybody, everybody's different and, you know, some women with PCOS get pregnant naturally. And some women, you know, it takes 10 IVF cycle. So right. it's just everyone's so unique, but I just sort of felt like they were like, okay, you need, you just need Clomid. And then I just didn't get like the whole implications behind all of it. I didn't really, I wasn't really mentally prepared. And so that's right. kind of, that was kind of the reason when I finally did get pregnant uh, via IVF, I started my blog because as sort of a, here's what I wish I had known when mm-hmm. I when, when I first started fertility treatments, that was actually our, my very first blog post. It was five things I wish I knew when I started fertility treatments because so good. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just felt like, and my number one point was that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like my RE made it seem like it was going to be this quick fix, but you really don't know. It's such a process of trial and error. And then, you know, six months later, I'm, I'm still not pregnant. And then, you know, starting IVF and IVF right. was like the furthest thing from my mind. Yes. Wait, I want to p- unpack all this. I feel like we're going, we're breezing through it, but I, I want like all the details. So tell me more about the Clomid. Like what was happening to you when you were on it? 
I don't even think I realized at the time that it was that making me crazy because the emotions behind even just needing fertility treatments in the first place and feeling like, well, I had no idea that I had to go in for monitoring three times a week before work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just the time commitment that it added on to my day. And so I think it was a mix of of just the emotional side of things. But then I think the Clomid amplified it big time and just everything combined. It was just not fun. And I was not a pleasure to live with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I hate to say it because I don't want to make IVF sound easy whatsoever because it's not. But I got to a point where I was begging to do IVF because I think they didn't want to suggest it because probably because a lot of people don't have insurance coverage and they really want to try everything before resorting to IVF. Mm-hmm. And some insurance companies even require a couple of IUIs before they will cover IVF. But yeah, I've heard like four times, five times. It depends on people's insurance, obviously, but a handful of times. Yeah, usually. But, but no one had even looked into whether I was covered and I actually was covered. So once I found that out, I said, and I know I'm, I'm very lucky for that. I work for an amazing company. Um, mm-hmm. But it was covered and I said, I, I'm just done with this. Like, can we just do what is going to give me the best success rates? Yes, let's cut to the chase. So how many IUIs did you actually do? I think I did one timed intercourse cycle with Clomid and then one IUI with Clomid and then one IUI with Femera, which didn't even work actually for me, mm-hmm. um, which was extremely frustrating because then the cycle became like an almost two month cycle. Mm. And that was the lowest point I had been at because it was like every time I would go in for an ultrasound thinking like follicles were going to grow and, and, it, and they just weren't. And so then they switched me to injectables, but then my ovaries went into overdrive and I almost had too many oh <laughs> follicles gosh. and we kind of, took a big chance actually going forward with the IUI of like having triplets or, you know, high order multiples because we, we just wanted to have a, have a shot because the cycle had been like never ending. And I felt like if we didn't do the IUI, it would be like all for nothing kind of thing. So how did it feel when you were getting back these negative pregnancy tests or when you found out that they, it wasn't working? Honestly, I was shocked. I just, I, I felt like I was sort of told that I was going to be an easy case and Mm -hmm. because I was under 30. I mean, you know, and they just, I I guess they're used to seeing women who are older and, or, you know, they just saw someone who I was young in shape, you know, I don't know what what they were thinking, but they just kind of reassured me that it wasn't going to be a big deal. Maybe they didn't want to, maybe they wanted to sort of temper my expectations, but I sort of feel like as a result, I was sort of misled into thinking that this is going to be sort of, I was like, oh, by the end of the summer, I'll be pregnant. And then then in December, I'm starting IVF and, you know, not even sure if this is ever going to happen for us. So was anybody else your age going through this or like any of your friends? No, I, I was really the first of my friends Mm -hmm. to, um, even really start trying. And my one friend who had a baby at the time got pregnant immediately. So okay. um, who were so you turning to for support? 
Um, and I know this leads up to why you created what you did. My mom and my husband, I was very open, actually. I'm a very open person by nature, but mm-hmm. I sort of feel like I can't get through things in life without talking about them. And oh my God, girl, same. That's why. <laughs> yes. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I'm a huge fan of therapy. I mean, yes. like I, you know, I tell, and I also, part of the reason I was really open was because I didn't want to have comments or questions because everyone knew I wanted to be a mom and I knew my mother-in-law or my dad or, you know, family members were going to say, Oh, when, when are you guys going to have a baby? You know? And I think being open about what we were going through kind of put those questions at bay, which Mm -hmm. helped me a lot. So, you know, because if they, people can't support you if they don't know what you're going through. Right. So yeah, I've always been pretty open with it, but I think especially with friends, like my husband kind of got it and my mom, because they were kind of driving me to appointments because I would have to go to my fertility clinic before work, be driven there because if I, because then I had to hop right on the Long Island Railroad. So it was just very logistically difficult. Yeah. It's so important too that you point out like this is the real life part of it that, you know, a lot of people who are going through this know, but just the logistics of going through all of this stuff, like you said, getting up early to go to the appointments and going all the blood draws and getting all the scans and, you know, like it's just, it really like takes a huge chunk of time out of your day. Yeah. And, and that was something I, I wasn't prepared for. And Mm -hmm. um, so my husband and my mom were kind of in the trenches with me because they were my chauffeurs and my, you know, support system. So, but everyone else, it's like when you tell friends, they kind of just don't know what to say or do, or they're, you know, and all well-meaning people are right. Say things like, "Oh, don't worry about it, relax." You know, and and no one means anything. No one, no one means any harm. But of course, it's just if you if you kind of haven't been through it or close to it, it's hard to understand. Exactly, exactly. So once you started down the IVF road, what happened? I actually had a really great IVF result, thankfully, Uh because I have PCOS, I have a very high AMH level and the, I respond well, well to the injectable medication. So I actually ended up, they retrieved 45 eggs. What? That's the most I've ever heard. Yeah. So were you in pain? Like, yeah, so I wasn't really leading up to my retrieval. I had um, bloating obviously, but, but then I, very narrowly. I still don't really know if I had OHSS, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, or if I like narrowly, narrowly avoided it. I had to really follow the directions that they gave me post-retrieval, which was not drinking a lot of fluids and low salt intake. I know every clinic kind of gives different Mm -hmm. instructions. But yeah, no, I definitely didn't feel great. I think your symptoms are definitely more severe than they would with like a regular egg retrieval where you got a, a normal amount of eggs. But but so yeah, I got 45 eggs, which was amazing. And then 35 of them fertilized, which was also amazing. And then 12, wow. and then 12 of them became embryos. But I did not do the genetic testing. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose not to? Well- money really. It was all of my IVF was covered by insurance except that. And 
we really just didn't have the extra money and we were going to do it if my doctor kind of highly recommended it, but she said because of my age and my husband's age that we really, it wasn't something that she felt was crucial. So I decided to trust her on that. But then my first frozen embryo transfer, I couldn't do a fresh transfer because of the ovarian hyperstimulation. Okay. Um, So you had to calm, kind of calm back down, right? Yeah. So my body had to calm down and then I did a frozen embryo transfer the following month and it did not take. So then at that point, that was completely devastating because I had felt so hopeful after my IVF cycle, like, okay, I have all these embryos and, Mm -hmm. you know, 12 chances to get pregnant. And then, and then it didn't. didn't How did they decide which embryo to use? Did they grade them all? And I guess they hadn't been tested. So do they, are they still able to grade them when they're not? Yeah, they still grade them, Okay, um, but they they just just don't take the biopsy. Yeah. Okay. Um, So they picked what they perceived to be the healthiest one. Yeah, they picked the best one and they, um, and I put, and we implanted one, Mm -hmm. but I guess it just didn't implant. I guess the point being, I don't know if it was because it was genetically abnormal or if it just didn't implant. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was devastated because I sort of felt like at that point I had been so hopeful after getting my embryos and then for it not to take, I'm like, doesn't IVF work for everyone? Like I was really under the impression that IVF worked. It was foolproof. It's so interesting that you say that because I, I kind of thought that as well going into it. I, I just didn't know. Yeah. And so, and my clinic told me with my age, my success rate was like 70 something percent. So I said, for sure this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And I actually remember when the nurse called me, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So I was so devastated. And I, funny story, I had actually told my doc, I wanted to transfer two embryos all along. Mm-hmm. I had a dream that I was going to have twin boys. And then the next day I actually saw twin boys that I had never seen before, like out in my neighborhood. And I was like, I just really want to transfer two embryos. But my, Mm -hmm. my doctor was kind of adamant about the risks of, of multiple pregnancies. And and so wait, you were, you're always looking for signs. Cause I was doing, I always did that too. Yes, definitely looking for signs. And, um, and my husband did not want to go against her, her wishes, but I said to them, if this transfer does not take, I don't care what either of you say. I said, deal. And they said, okay, deal. Mm-hmm. And so the transfer didn't, my first transfer didn't take. And I said, okay, well, that just means I'm putting two in next time. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely convinced myself that like that was supposed to happen because I was supposed to have twins. Mm-hmm. And then I got pregnant with twins. <laughs> wow. And I don't know if any of that's connected, but it was my way of like making myself feel better about the first one, not, yes, you know, working and, and, and who knows if, if it was meant to be, but I have, I now have 13 month old boy, girl twins. Right. So tell me a little bit more about this. So this was your second transfer. You only did the one retrieval because you had like 400 million eggs. (laughs) So this is my second transfer. Okay. And how old were you at the time? I had just turned 28 when I started. So yeah, I was 28 basically the whole year that I was going through this. Okay. So the day of the transfer, did you do anything like ritualistic or like good luck wise or anything like that? I'm always curious to hear like what people do. Like I did acupuncture, um, 
when I started IVF, I started acupuncture and uh-huh. I really loved my acupuncturist. She specialized in fertility and she, and it sort of gave me my control back a little bit. I had sort mm-hmm. of felt like I, it, the whole process of infertility is so out of your control yes. and I'm not too much of a control freak, but I just felt like anything that I could do to gain back my control, I wanted to do. So I did acupuncture, I think the day before the transfer and then the day of, Mm -hmm. and so that was something I did. I prayed. I don't know if you're religious, but I, Mm -hmm. my grandma is off the boat from, from Sicily and Mm -hmm. she gave me the St. Gerard medal, which is the patron saint of fertility. And so I always, you know, got superstitious about that and, and prayed to St. Gerard. And, you know, I think those are two, the two main things. But then you constantly feel even afterwards that like every little thing you do is going to not make it stick. And yes, I had actually convinced myself that it wasn't going to work again. And I actually got, I got period, what I thought were period cramps, like a day or two before my beta blood test. Mm -hmm. And I was convinced that I was getting my period, that it wasn't going to happen. And then, and then my beta was like, 300 something. (laughs) Mm, Wow. Um, So then were you like, oh, that has to be twins? Well, so I actually, I didn't test at home until the morning of, I wouldn't let myself test early because I had done that previously. And, and I just feel like it psychs you out either way. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't test until the morning of, and so it was day 14 or day nine post transfer. And I got a like the minute the pee hit the stick, it was positive. Wow. And so I took two tests and they immediately came up positive and dark. And so I actually brought them to my fertility clinic <laughs> and I showed my, my nurses who I actually was like BFFs with it by that time, mm-hmm. it been pretty much a year. And they were like, well, that looks like a positive to us. And so then I got my blood test and I, my husband was with me and I took and then we took the train to work to the city and she, they actually called me while I was on the train. And so we found out we were pregnant while we were on the Long Island Railroad. But really? What did they say when they called? Oh my God. They were all like screaming into the phone because <laughs> I was like, we were also, they were my, you know, three times a week morning BFFs that I had been hanging out with for a year. So it felt like they were like rooting for me and they were so excited for us. Yes. Um, and then, you know, but I, I think being in this community, I really wasn't in the infertility community at the time. I actually didn't even know like the Instagram community existed when I was going through it. Yeah. But just being, just being a, an infertility warrior, you know, like the miscarriage statistics and you know, the chemical pregnancy stories. And so I was super cautious, but they kind of said, well, 300 is a really strong yes. number. And they didn't want to say twins, but I, like, I could tell they were kind of like hinting towards that. And so, and then my second beta was like 1200 something. And uh-huh. so, and then when I got, I almost knew at that point, like when I had my six week ultrasound, I kind of knew that there were probably twins. And then, and then they told me I was having triplets, which is like <gasps> a whole nother story, but I, um, they what? saw, three, they saw three sacks on the screen for my okay. first ultrasound. Uh huh. And because it wasn't far enough along where there like where would be heartbeats yet, they basically told me I was having triplets and 
actually like brought up selective reduction. Whoa. So when you had transferred two, did they think one of them had split? Yeah, they thought one of them had split and they totally freaked me out. They're like putting me in contact with the doctor of that to talk about selective reduction because the risks of having triplets are super high and blah, 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 blah. And I cannot believe that they kind of sort of did that, like looking back now, because the following week, like, I I don't even know what that third sack actually was because there were only two, two babies and there were two heartbeats and, you know, I don't know if it was like a, one of those hematoma kind of things or, Uh because I did have some spotting in the first trimester. So I'm not sure, but, but yeah, I mean, like a week later, everything was fine and it was a twin pregnancy and you know, it was all good, but they totally freaked me out. I was sick to my stomach and I don't know to this day if it was the pregnancy hormones or if I was like, Oh my God, I'm having triplets. (laughs) Yes. Wow. So then when they decided that, or they figured out that it was twins, what was, how did you guys feel about that? Well, we were just happy it wasn't triplets, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like whenever people ask us, how did you feel when you were having twins? We were like relieved because it wasn't triplets. Because mm-hmm. I just felt like a lot of my choices would be taken away if I had triplets. Like I wouldn't have been able to go back to work. I wouldn't, you know, I would have probably had a really complicated pregnancy, which actually I ended up having anyway. So I'm very, very thankful that there wasn't a third baby because it could have been really awful. I, I ended up going into preterm labor at 26 weeks and six days due to a short, shortened cervix and uh-huh. ended up being in and out of the hospital. I ended up spending 25 nights in the hospital, 10 weeks on bed rest. Whoa. I ended up making it to 37 weeks, which was, which is actually full term for twins, which is, mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm able to actually say that. Mm-hmm. So great outcome, but it was kind of hairy there for a while and, and oh really gosh. terrifying. So yes. I'm really glad that it wasn't three babies because, <laughs> yes. you know, who knows that could have put me over the edge and could have had them super early. And yeah. So when you actually had them, did you have a C-section or did, was it vaginal? My daughter came out vaginally and then I had to have an emergency C-section to get my son out. Whoa. So what happened there? He just wouldn't descend into the birth canal. And <laughs> it's so like now I can laugh about it, but I just feel like nothing on my journey to motherhood was easy mm-hmm. and I ended up getting an amazing epidural and I, I didn't think, and I'm not, you know, diminishing vaginal childbirth at all, but like I had a pretty fairly easy vaginal birth with my daughter. Like she, I wasn't pushing for that long. My epidural was worked well she came out and and I really thought I had dodged the bullet. Like I was like, okay, he's going to be right after her. Mm-hmm. And then he just wouldn't descend into the birth canal, like after an hour and a half more of pushing. Whoa. That must've been scary. Or an hour rather. It was, it wasn't scary because I was just so focused on pushing. But then when they told me, I'm really sorry, you're going to have to have a C-section. It's kind of like all my fears kind of came to fruition because that is one of the big risks you take with a twin pregnancy trying vaginally because you there's a high chance that when the baby A comes out baby B will rotate. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so but I but they had been head down like the whole time and I just really wanted to try. My mom was like, "Why would you opt for a C-section if you really don't have to, you know?" 
Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's a harder recovery. I might as well try. And then, and then it just, the, the problem was then I had to get like a double dose of anesthesia because I had already had the epidural and now I had to do get local anesthesia for the C-section. Mm-hmm. And then I basically vomited the entire C-section. Oh no. So was baby A okay? So she came out and then she went, they did all the things and like, yeah, was, my husband is okay. for Did life she... because he had to like walk past the C-section carnage to cut her umbilical cord and do all that stuff. So, oh my god, like, I will never forget that image. But um, yes, yes, yes. But was but, she? How big was she when she was born? She was six pounds. Oh wow, that's great for twins. Yeah, yeah. She was. They were thirty-seven weeks, so she was six pounds, and um, he was five three. Okay, um, so you're puking during the epidural or during the C-section. Yeah. And then, and then all I remember is that he came out and I said, and I was so out of it. And I just said, did he cry? Is he okay? And they said, yeah. And then I just blacked out and woke up hours later. Oh my gosh. And so I like, didn't have that moment of, yay, my babies are here and got, right. to, got to cuddle them. And it was actually sort of traumatizing. I woke up in the recovery room with like everyone's worried faces around me kind oh. of. Yes. And you're like, um, what happened? Yeah. And you remember, I still, I still to this day, like kind of don't know how bad it was. Like, cause I know that I hemorrhaged and I had to get a blood transfusion and it just wasn't the experience. That, mm-hmm. But I guess I was also just really happy that it was over and that they were here and they were fine. And cause I had for so long thought they were going to come so early. So it was just a lot of sort of mixed emotions. When I got back to from the hospital with them, it was, got home. It was hard to wrap my mind around like the journey sort of being over because I sort of felt like I had been in survival mode for so long. And, and I almost was like anticipating, like waiting for the other shoe to drop in a way. Right. Like what else is going to happen? And then I ended up hemorrhaging 10 days after I gave birth, landing myself back in the hospital. And then I ended up getting postpartum anxiety so Whoa. it was it wasn't until like after the fourth trimester that I really like sort of felt like I could start not that I didn't enjoy motherhood in those first couple of weeks but it was a tough recovery and mm-hmm. and I think just after everything I had been through like I said I was waiting for the other shoe to drop and what else is going to happen like what else am I going to have to overcome like between infertility and a high risk pregnancy and absolutely a traumatic birth and I still think about now like I just feel like I have I have embryos left. The door is not closed, but then, and I would love to have another baby eventually, but it's so terrifying. Like, I don't even know what all happened when I gave birth. Like, would it be a scary situation if I had another baby? Would I have twins again? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. there's so much more that goes into it. It's like, not like I can just have an oopsie and mm-hmm. like, the choice is taken out of it for me. And so, and I always say that on my blog and my Instagram that the scars of infertility don't fade the minute you find out you're pregnant. Like I believe that infertility led to everything that else that I experienced. Cause if I didn't go through infertility, I wouldn't have had twins. If I didn't have twins, I wouldn't have had a high risk pregnancy. If I didn't have a high risk pregnancy, I might not have had a crazy birth. Like it's just all like a domino effect and women with twins and who went through assisted reproductive technologies are 
are at a higher risk for postpartum anxiety and depression. So I just feel like it's all interconnected and I'm really passionate about sort of like giving a voice to those topics because absolutely, you know, it just doesn't stop with the positive pregnancy test. Right. Right. And you're never able to fully relax. Like I've talked about that before too, that with me, you know, it took me three years, three plus almost four years to get pregnant with my son. And after having my daughter, you know, no problems. And it just, even when I found out I was pregnant, you can't exhale ever really, you know, the whole time you're just like, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? Because once you're part of that, like small percentage where something can go wrong, you're like, well, that's going to happen again, obviously, because it's already happened once before, you know? Exactly. It's almost like you wish that ignorance was bliss sometimes. Like some people have no idea and great for them, you know, but yeah, just being on the other side of it is absolutely. And I have no idea a, if my remaining embryos are genetically normal. Mm. Could you get them tested at this point? I think I can, but yeah, it's money and, and right. It's just another thing to think about. So that's on my mind. And then, so I don't know if they're genetically normal. And then I also don't know if the reason my cervix shortened during pregnancy was because it was twins or if that's just my baseline. I wonder if they could test that for you. Well, the, my doctor said that if I were to have another baby, they would put in a cerclage as a sort of, it's which is a stitch in your cervix as a precaution. Sounds um, so fancy, cerclage. Cerclage, I know. Right. You're like, it's so a stitch. <laughs> they said that, but I almost feel like I would maybe get a second opinion and have someone like someone else look at my files before I move forward. Yes. See, I had four male doctors in their sixties who I loved for their dry sense of humor and their, you know, you know, I love them for many reasons, but I felt like when it came to the emotional aspect, when you're sitting in the hospital, not knowing on bed rest, not knowing if your twins are going to be premature, like Mm -hmm. very premature. And then when you're going through postpartum anxiety and it almost feels like if you're not a woman, you can't understand. And I hate saying that, but I sort of feel like it's, it's true. And, and I think next time I would maybe go with another doctor just for mm-hmm. the reason of like it the was emotional very, aspect. Well, and it was a very traumatizing experience. Right. And I want, like, I just almost need like a reassuring doctor that is going to kind of take my fears seriously from an emotional standpoint. Completely. So tell me how this whole notion came to you, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but starting the fertility tribe, how did it, how did the ball get rolling for you? So like I said earlier, I really felt like I was thrust into the world of fertility treatments before I was mentally ready. And so I really kind of wanted to pay it forward and and write about what I wish I had known. And then it kind of just went from there. I covered all sorts of topics like the catch 22 of whether you should work out or not while you, while you're going through fertility treatments or whether you should have a glass of wine or not, like all of these emotions that we kind of all feel when we're going through it, but it's, it's not really vocalized or written about. Mm -hmm. So I started it as a personal blog. Um, and it was actually called find your TTC tribe with TTC standing for trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. And then, and this was when I was first pregnant with my twins. And so almost two years ago now. And then I think I hit a point where I felt, I guess it's called like imposter syndrome, but I 
sort of felt like I was on the other side of infertility and who was I to talk about this stuff anymore because who would want to hear from I had like survivor's guilt like who would want to hear from me I get that and then I hit a so I took a little bit of a break and but then I hit a point where I really felt strongly after my twins were born that like what I said before about how it's all a domino effect and like infertility stays with you during your pregnancy as a mom And I really felt passionate about like branching out and talking about that stuff too. So, and then I also realized I'm only one perspective and one experience. And so I started featuring, I rebranded as the fertility tribe and I started featuring stories from, from real women who have gone through kind of every aspect of every path to parenthood from adoption to embryo donation to donor egg IVF, secondary infertility, the whole spectrum, just to really show that, because I felt like I, you know, I only have one set of experiences. So started featuring that kind of stuff. And then kind of just recently started branching out to featuring articles from like nutritionists and mental health professionals and, but all real women speaking to real women. And the response has been really amazing. It's such an amazing community, especially on Instagram. It's so good, isn't it? It is. And everyone's so supportive of one another. And, and, you know, I think people just want to know that they're not alone and, and these stories really help help because some people aren't open about their journey with friends and family mm-hmm. and this is kind of a place for them to a safe space and somewhere that they can come for support so it's really amazing and and then I also started a weekly email newsletter it's called the weight it's kind of a play on the skim um but for, I love it thank you it's for all things fertility and it comes out every Wednesday at 6 a.m. So just in time for your morning monitoring appointment or your Mm -hmm. first cup of coffee of the day. And I'm really trying to grow that and really make it like a one-stop shop. Like if like the the email you need to get every week, you know, for all your fertility knowledge, all in support of the amazing, you know, community, which is growing, unfortunately, but fortunately every day. Exactly. It's new people every single day. And I have to be honest, like, There's not one a-hole that I've come across in this community, knock on wood. I mean, they're really, everybody is just in it to lift each other up. And it's so, it like warms my heart because it was, I know you're coming from the same place. Like we wanted, we needed this when we were going through it and we didn't have it. So to think that Mm -hmm. now it's out there and if we can be even one sliver of like the solution and helping people, it's like so gratifying. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what's next for you guys? And how, wait, tell me, how are the babies? How are the twins? They're awesome. They just turned one in October. They're Brooke and Charlie are their names. Mm -hmm. Um, Brooke is walking. Charlie is on the verge of walking. It's like any day now. I can't tell if I'm excited or scared, (laughs) but it's so much fun. I feel like going through everything I did to have them sort of gave me a perspective as a mom that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Absolutely. And I'm really just so grateful. Like I don't sweat the small stuff, which I feel like five years ago I would have, but I really, really don't. Like everyone hears I have one-year-old twins and, and thinks, oh my God, your life might be insane. But I just say it's so much fun. And not to say that there aren't hard days because being a mom is incredibly hard, but, but it's like what I wanted and, you know, 
if I had endless amounts of money, I would just have all the babies in the world. <laughs> right. So you're still thinking you might keep expanding your family, right? You're, you're not sure yet. I would love to. Yeah. Um, I think my husband's still on the, we have one-year-old twins. You're crazy for even thinking about it right now. <laughs> I think for me, I wish there weren't so many other factors to consider. Like I'm like, well, if my cervical issue is not unique to my twin pregnancy, I can't really be on bed rest with toddler twins. Right. So I, I think my plan is to wait till they're three-ish and then see where we're at. Um, mm -hmm. So I also want, you know, I'm enjoying that. You know, having twins, you don't always get the one-on-one -on -one time. So I don't know that I would want to throw another baby into the mix mm -hmm. right now. I want to enjoy them, but I would love to experience a single pregnancy and, and sort of the experience of having one baby. It's just so, I decided I, I don't know any different than having two at once. Hello again. Welcome back. And thank you for listening to my conversation with Kristen. Her website is The Fertility Tribe, and she's on Instagram too, so definitely check those out. Thanks again, Kristen, for everything. And I just wanted to say that I'm so happy to see that we have a lot more listeners over the holidays and at the beginning of season two. So welcome if you're new here. I hope you're catching up on all the old episodes and enjoying the new ones too. And if you haven't had a chance and you have two seconds, if you could pop over to the Apple podcast page and rate and review Infertile AF, it would be greatly appreciated. That's how we get kind of recognized in the sea of a zillion different podcasts now. So if you could give it a five-star rating, short review, or if you're a listener that's been around for a while and you haven't had a chance to do that, I would be forever indebted. So it just, in the end, gives us you know more exposure and helps more people. So Thank you so much. Love you guys. Talk to you next time.